December 19th. Welcome back to the Island College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me. It's been a few days since uh, we last talked. We're recording this actually on Monday night. Apologies for the delay. We were going to do this last night. If you remember, you listened to the last podcast. We said we'd either do it late uh, Sunday night after I got back from Las Vegas or early Monday morning. Uh, It turns out neither one of those things were true, but it's honest to God. I mean, it might be some of my fault, but it's not completely my fault. My bags didn't make it home with me uh, from Las Vegas. I made it home late last night. My bags did not make it home till this afternoon. And my highly sophisticated podcast equipment that makes this sound so perfect each and every week, without exception, was in one of my bags. So I was micless. How could I be so micless? Anyway, I'm here now. So is my microphone. Matt Norlander, how are you? You were micless, but you're never matless. <laughs> just so happy to be here. I'm doing well, and it is a little weird. We know almost never record a podcast on a Monday night, but we've had the Duke game go final. And yeah, let's make it sound right. And uh, I did have some tweets asking where it was. I said, don't worry, we're going to get it to you. Here we are. Monday night's done. Here we are. So for those that actually got in this early, subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. You saw it pop on your phone before you went to bed on Monday night. Shout out to the hardcores. And, uh, yeah, what do you want to lead with, man? Well, we got a lot of things to get to, right? Uh, like I said, I was in Vegas, so I saw what I believe was the most impressive individual performance I've ever seen from a college basketball player in person, and that was Malik Monk's uh, historic uh, game against North Carolina. He got 47 points. That set a record for Kentucky freshmen. So we will talk Malik Monk in this podcast. We will uh, look ahead to Kentucky-Louisville. That's a big game on Wednesday night. We'll talk about Butler's big win over Indiana. We'll talk about Michigan State's 7-5 and record and its NCAA tournament hopes. But I did want to start with uh, cover your ears if you're listening, Mike Bray. The college debut of Duke's Harry Giles, power forward who was once projected to go first in the 2017 NBA draft, uh, played against Tennessee State earlier on Monday, finished with zero points, zero, re-round, zero, zero rebounds, zero assists in four minutes. Basically had the stat line of a walk-on and a blowout, except he was at one time, again, projected to be the number one pick in the 2017 NBA draft. I honestly didn't see much of it, Norlander. I saw a little bit of it. Tell me what happened. Yeah, interesting game, actually. More interesting than I thought it would be uh, because Giles, I mean, there was buzz leading up in the day that he was finally going to play. Duke never sent out official word on it. Even like when when Tatum and Bolden came back like two weeks ago or whatever, like about an hour before the game started, the Duke official Twitter account even just like let people know that it was happening, that they were returning. We We didn't get any of that until Giles actually checked in at the scores table, I believe after the first TV timeout. We didn't know for sure that he was going to play. He did obviously get on the floor. Didn't do much. There's actually not a ton to take away from this. I wonder if we'll have more to talk about on our next podcast later in the week because he'll almost definitely play again. Duke plays Elon Wednesday. That's their final non-conference game. I would think he'll get on the floor more. This was clearly a get his sea legs under him. Let's just get him on the floor for a few minutes. And then GP, I actually think that he only played such a short amount of time because Tennessee State, they, they showed up. They played well. They held the lead for most of the first half against Duke and even had the lead with about 16 and change to go in the second half. And then a big run came. Luke Kennard balled out. He led all scores. Uh, really just kept kept pace as a top five, if not top three player of the year candidate at this point. Uh, he was pretty huge, and Jefferson was big on the boards overall. But, uh, but yeah, not much from Giles. And, you know, let's just be patient. Uh, the thing here with Giles is that, to me, for all the hype coming in with a lot of these freshmen, rightfully so, 
the only one that reaches levels of like what we had with Simmons, uh, Simmons last year is Giles because one, listen, I've only gone out six summers on the AAU circuit, summer hoop circuit, and seen players, so I only have six years worth of experience. To me, Giles was the guy that to me was more wowing than any other player I've seen on the circuit. I would say Simmons was probably a close second. Um, so he's got all this hype coming in, so he plays a game, doesn't do much. Um, but let's see what he does against Elon. It's going to take some time. They want to just, you know, they can afford to put him back in slowly, but surely he might not even see 20 minutes in a game till mid January. That wouldn't shock me, GP, given the competition they're going to face in the ACC. So not a ton, of, not a ton to take away from it, but he is back. So Duke, as of right now, is finally officially fully healthy with a roster that could obviously prove to be the best in the sport. Interesting, as you said, uh, Giles is the most impressive prospect you've ever seen on the AAU circuit. I was trying to run through my head, like, who's the most impressive I've ever seen? Maybe Greg Oden? Might have been Greg Oden? Yeah, he was before my time, so I can't, I, exactly. I mean... And LeBron was one year before my time. I never saw LeBron on the AAU circuit. Um, but... Because I don't think LeBron played the summer before his senior year, so his last year to have played would have been summer before his sophomore year, maybe like two, July two thousand one. And so I just I wasn't on the uh, college beat at that point, so I never saw LeBron on the summer circuit. But Odin was awesome, um, you know. Derrick Rose was awesome, but I don't I don't know that like Derrick wasn't even the consensus number one player in his class. He was awesome, but he wasn't the consensus number one. Who was the guy, GP? Because I remember you guys have mentioned this. There was like a game with Derrick Rose that happened at like 12.30 night in Vegas. Who was the other no, guy? No, it was like 7.30 and more. Gordon, the, right? Eric Gordon, Derrick Rose, yeah. same class, right? Yeah, yeah. it was It yeah. was like it was like a – I don't remember. I mean, I could look it up. It was early on a Sunday morning. Like I'll tell you this, and you probably can assume this. I'd never been up this early to go to a basketball game in Vegas before. <laughs> and it, it, I think it was played out at Foothill. Shout out to Foothill. For real at Foothill. Okay. I, I feel like it actually was at Foothill. But uh, it was Derrick Rose and Eric Gordon on one team. And the other team had O.J. Mayo and Bill Walker. Now, that might not wow you now. But at the time, Bill like o- back in the day, right. O.J. Mayo and Bill Walker were like the two. Like they were in some people's like to- both top five prospects. And then Gordon and Rose. It was like four top ten prospects. You know, playing against each other in Vegas, and I want to say OJ hit a game winner, like maybe a four point play. Like Derek might have fouled him. Really? It was a four point play. You can find it on YouTube. Just Google Vegas Gordon Rose Mayo Walker, and you'll find it. It was an amazing game. So th- th- that whole class was great. Kevin Love was in that class. Um, that whole class was great. But I think oh, most impressive player I've ever seen on the AU circuit. Might have been Greg Oden. He was awesome. Like you know, and it's it made me sad not to get too off track when I heard Greg you know several weeks ago say that he'll go down as the biggest bust in history, NBA draft bust in history, because I hate that he thinks of himself that way. Because I don't think it's fair to him. Like it just injuries just ripped away his his possibilities. But when when healthy, when in high school, you would have bet everything you own that he was the next great thing at the NBA level. He uh, he truly was awesome. Watch this transition. Speaking of awesome, I was in Las Vegas over the weekend and saw, uh, of course, UCLA run away from Ohio State. Like, they didn't even play well. Still end up winning by, I think, 13 points. They, they're totally legit. At this point, I would pencil UCLA in for the one seed out west because they're not going to be, according to Kempom, they won't be an underdog in another game all season long. They're already undefeated. So what are they going to lose? Two times, three times, four times? 
already got a win at Rupp. Like I, I think UCLA is going to end up being a one seed in the West. Nothing fluky about what they've done so far. They they really are special, especially you know especially on the offensive end. So that game was fun, but whatever. The 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 headliner was obviously Carolina, Kentucky, two top ten teams, two Hall of Fame coaches, pros all over the court, and. I think you and I agree. We always prefer games to be on a campus as opposed to a neutral court. Um, and I still do, but this neutral court atmosphere was awesome. I mean, jam-packed. Carolina fans are terrific, obviously. Kentucky fans are terrific, obviously. Uh, rowdy. Like, it felt— How's the building, GP? The that, building, that's, a new, that's a new arena. Yeah, it feels beautiful. You know, it was like, it was like Las Vegas decided we're going to build the best arena in the country. You know, it's just— Is it huge? Like, but it, like capacity-wise, is it, is uh, it a big— yeah, I want to, uh, yeah, I want to ask 20,000. Yeah, I mean, 19, okay. 19, 20,000. I mean, it's a big arena. And, you know, they got like a, it's so Vegas. They got like a Hyde nightclub at the top. So, like, there's like a legit <laughs> nightclub up there. Like, if you ever, you can, it's, it seems to be like corporate parties and, you know, or private parties. Like, if you want to have a party at the top of the arena, you can do that. And so, um, it'll be great for boxing, obviously. Um, you know, they'll, they'll probably try to lure an NBA team in there at some point. But it's it's beautiful. It's uh, it lives up to its. It looks like a brand new uh, basketball arena built in Las Vegas. So like it's it's just uh, top shelf every part of it, and the crowd was great. I mean, into it, rowdy. Like it felt like you were at an on campus basketball game. Like the intensity was there, and then the game. Like I guess if you love defense, you you probably might have been turned off a little bit. But I mean, you up and down. Basket after basket. And then Malik Monk, of course, finishes with 47 points. It's a Kentucky freshman record. More than anybody else has scored in the game this season. Uh, hits the game winner while disobeying John Calipari. Um, I, I know you had your eyeballs on it as well. Uh, am I overstating it? I mean, I, I thought, like, I've been going to college basketball games now for, you know, like 15 years and 16 years. And I don't remember seeing a player have that kind of performance on that kind of stage in person ever. Like, I, you know, I know Dwayne Wade had a triple-double. I think Dwayne Wade had a triple-double in the NCAA tournament one time. Maybe, like, I, I, perhaps I'm making that up. But, like, I, I've seen some great performances. That, the Monk thing was, like, 47 points against a top-10 team, a brand like Carolina on a, in a matchup between top-10 teams, you know, in a big event on national television. Like that's that's as good as it gets. Yeah, a little. More, I'll throw a few more stats and a quick comment here. It was the first time in 14 years that a freshman at the D1 level scored as many as 47 points, most points ever for any Calipari player. Mm-hmm. Uh, second most points ever scored against North Carolina. Uh, six most points ever scored by a Kentucky player. Period. Jody Meeks has the record 54, and someone ironically that came in the Billy Gillespie area that that uh, that Meeks did that. And the thing was, like, Monk was looking to get his, but he wasn't chucking. He was 8 of 12 from 3. He was hitting big shots. It was a tremendous watch. I was thinking about you as I'm watching this because it looked like it was just terrific to be there in person. And it was great. I mean, listen, it had an undeniable, even though the setting was not Final Four because Final Fours are now obviously in, in huge domes, the neutral court environment at these schools, it felt like a Final Four national title game type of uh, feeling to me. And it was it was really, really good for the sport, and it prompted me kind of to, after the game and kind of writing about it and the buzz around it, when you ha- we have all these teams that are really, really good, and I know I've said this a few times on the podcast, but I do want to repeat myself, like this is 
I don't have any sort of disdain or I, I, I love when smaller programs can do things and when Wichita State can go undefeated in the regular season. I think every season has cool stories. I'm always going to be into it. But the fact of the matter is on a national level, when you have the most important programs and yes, Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, Carolina, UCLA, Indiana, Villanova out of the Big East. When these programs are doing not only well, but are in the top 10, I mean, Villanova wins the best national title game, I think, ever, starts the season off, is still undefeated and is still number one. These things that had carryover effect from such a great march, they matter on a national level because it gets the sport uh, more currency in the in kind of the sports conversation. People now know the name Malik Monk. You put up 47 on national television. Mm-hmm. By the way, that was the highest rated regular season game in college basketball for the entire calendar year of 2016. You do that against Carolina when you play for Kentucky. You have a, a flashy name like Malik Monk, and you do it well, and it's a close game, and both teams are scoring 100. Yeah, that means something. People will know the name. Kentucky is obviously a team that's going to be vying for a national championship. So that overall is really, really good for the sport. And then lastly for Monk, um, I have him at number six in my freshman watch. Deer Fox is still yeah, – well, here's what? the deal. Deer Fox has still been a better player start to finish this season for Kentucky than Malik Monk. Malik 40, Monk is an amazing scorer, an amazing sh- Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. He's he's an amazing scorer, an amazing shooter. He doesn't really do anything else. So what he does is really really good, but he's not nearly as well-rounded right now as TJ Leaf, Lonzo Ball. Josh Jackson hasn't had the opportunity to play on a national you stage. You can't again. possibly have Josh Jackson ahead of Malik Monk right now. Without a doubt. I have Josh Jack Josh Jackson start to finish has been a more Holy complete player statistically crap. than Malik Monk. I've got Malik Monk at 6. I've got Jackson at five, Leaf at four, Fox at three, Ball at two, and Markel Fultz, it's undeniable, still statistically the most impressive freshman in the country right now. So Monk took a big jump. He was actually nine last week. The 47-point performance is so damn good. I, I had brought it up because I knew you'd have an issue with it because you freaking love Malik Monk. I always love Malik Monk. I discovered you, Malik Monk. You, <laughs> so the myth and legends and lies continue to grow, but yes. Um, so he's been awesome. And, and lastly, GB, I know I'm ready, but it was so good. Sixth. Take take it easy. He's leading the SEC in scoring. And the SEC is kind of trash, but whatever. As a freshman, he's 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 awesome, but he doesn't do anything except score and shoot really well, which is a fantastic attribute to have in basketball. But there are more aspects to it than just that. I hate it. I hate it when I hate it when players can only score like Kevin Durant. Yeah, no, but yeah, absolutely. But Kevin Durant, you know, is not an all-world defensive player, but he's still a lot better on defense. I and agree. Was a lot I agree with that. I understand. I understand what you're saying. I just. It... But anyway, so we, I'm transitioning to you with this. So you have, I have freshman of the year ranking duties. It's not the same as player of the year, which you have. So I'm wondering if you're so head over heels in love that you're going to be silly enough to vault Monk until like the top three, because no. that should not be the case. No, you can't get in the top three. Um, okay. Th- like I, I, it's still got to be Josh Hart at, at one, and I. I got no reason to move Lonzo at this point. I mean, and Leaf is – dude, Leaf is Le- right no, there. No, he's awesome. Like, TJ Leaf is right there. So, I, I will tell you this. Uh, Josh Hart's one. I don't know what I'm going to do after that, but I'll probably keep Lonzo too. Frank Mason still belongs up there. Uh, TJ Leaf belongs in the top ten somewhere. He's got to be in the top ten. Um, Aaron Fox leads Kentucky in double-doubles. Um, and start to finish has been a better player for Kentucky than Monk. I, I will have Monk in the top ten. I don't know where. Yeah. If only you because... have to, but here's the thing though. If you have Monk, you have to have Fox. At this point, they're both worthy of top ten consideration, in my opinion. If you really look at what Fox has done, he's he's been he's like every freaking game, dude. Yeah. Like here's the thing, Monk's forty seven overshadows the fact that Fox had yet another double double and he was freaking awesome. He was the one that gave it to um to Malik to set him up for that final game winning shot. So 
I think we're getting a little bit of a, a case where Monk's awesomeness is overshadowing just how good Fox was in that That's game. That's what and awesomeness way, does, Norlander. Awesomeness overshadows. And by the way, if, if it, listen, Monk would have been the story even if Kentucky lost, but Justin Jackson also he was, was awesome. really, really good. Caroline in general. That game was just and I just love fantastic. That, I love that Monk uh, afterward was asked, you know, what were you trying to do on the last position? Why, no, they asked him, why did you hesitate? Because he did. He, like, wanted to shoot it, stopped, and then he was just like, the hell with it, and he launched it. And he was like, well, because Coach Cal was yelling, drive, drive, drive. But I was hot, so I just shot it. And it's like, you know, Cal was like, good. You know, Cal, Cal uh, confirmed that story afterward and said, uh, yeah, you know, I wanted him to drive. You know, he's an 80% free throw shooter. Like, get in there. Like, dunk it because you're a, a ridiculous athlete. And if you can't dunk it, then you'll get fouled. And then go make some free throws and let's guard somebody. Um, but once he made it, I was like, good shot, kid. You know, like, uh, great shot. And so what was interesting is John said afterward, that, and I subsequently found out that because um, I, di- I I didn't understand. I knew it was a game. I didn't know exactly what game. And then Cal Tucker, who of course covers uh, Kentucky on a regular basis, uh, texted me earlier today and said that Cal confirmed tonight it was the Valpo game. So it was the Kentucky Valpo game, where according to Cal, uh, Malik went like six minutes without touching the ball. Now in 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 Calipari translation, that could have been like two minutes, you know. But for the sake of the story, you you call it six. But either way, he went a an amount of time without touching the ball where John decided to put in three plays that are done. They're designed to do nothing other than if Malik didn't touch the ball in the last possession, we'll run this play and they have to throw it to him. His teammates have to throw it to him. He will never go multiple possessions without touching the ball. And having been John's beat writer before, I knew that that's not normal for him. I mean, I set in on every, on the guy's practice every day for four years. He doesn't, they, he doesn't put in plays to just guarantee guys, Catch, you know, uh, touch the ball. That's just not the way he's ever coached. It's not the way I've ever seen him coach. And so I asked him afterward, I was like, how often have you done that? Is that rare for you? And he said, I put in a few for – now, you, one thing you have to understand is a lot of his great players have been guys who have the ball in their hands anyway. John Wall, Derrick Rose, uh, Tyreek Evans, uh, you know, uh, more recently Tyler Uless. Um, if you go way back to the Memphis days, Antonio Burks, Darius Washington – um, but he said last year with Jamal, he put in some s- similar stuff just to make sure if we weren't getting Jamal the ball, if he wasn't get touching the ball, we'll run this. He's got to touch it. And then he had to go all the way back to his UMass days. It was basically Jamal Murray and then all the way back to UMass. Like he never did it with Chris Douglas Roberts at Memphis. Chris Douglas Roberts was a f- first-team consensus All-American. And so that's interesting. I think it speaks to Malik's ability to score is that John knows we don't need to have too many possessions where that guy doesn't touch the ball because he is a uniquely uh, gifted scorer. He's now leading the SEC in points per game at 21.9 and uh, is on pace to at least have a shot to finish the season with a higher points per game average than any player in the history of John Calipari. Dewan Wagner, correct. yeah, Dewan. Yes, oh, I was going to toss it out, but you are aware. Well, yes, Wagner it, 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 has correct. Wags, you think I wouldn't remember Wani Wags? Wani Wags. <laughs> they, they see that, that if you, no if, one calls him that except us, but it's sticking. No, everybody, like if you know Wani Wags, really? If, no, yeah, if you if you don't know Dewan Wagner, you call him Dewan Wagner. If you know Wani, it's Wani Wags. <laughs> That's what we called him back then, Wani Wags. And that, like I say, we like I only called him that because like his best friend. Uh, Arthur Barclay, shout out to OG. Uh, Arthur Barclay called him Wani Wags, so I called him Wani Wags. That whole like that was a circus back then when I was covering that stuff. Like the Juan, the Juan Wagner, dude, the Juan Wagner comes in from Camden, New Jersey, down to Memphis, and they bring in his best friend too. OG, 
Arthur Barclay, who's now a city councilman in Camden. Love OG. Here's a good OG story for you. So I'm, I'm the beat writer. So I, I see these kids every day. And uh, so one, I want to say it was the night before the Tyson Lewis fight that happened to be at the Pyramid in Memphis. But it, 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 but it might have been another time. But I, I, either way, Jay-Z was playing a show here in, in Memphis. And I'm, and it was like broadcast on Showtime or HBO or something. So it was live from Memphis, Jay-Z, broadcast live um, on, on some cable network. And so I'm sitting at home watching it. And I look up and there's OG on stage with Jay-Z. And I'm like, what in the world is Arthur Barclay doing on stage with Jay-Z? Like waving a shirt or something, you know? So I'm like, what? And so I, I can't wait to get back to practice on Monday because I got to figure out what's happening. So I, 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 I see OG. I walk over and I said, "Yo, man, like, tell me if I'm wrong, but I was watching the Jay Z show the other night, and like, I swear, I think I saw you on stage." And he's he just looked at me as calmly as he could look at me and said, "This, yeah, I've been knowing Jay a long time." I'm like, dude, you're 19 years old. How have you been knowing Jay? <laughs> How have you been knowing Jay a long time? And what you find out is like it's a worldwide West thing. You know, it's like Wes, you yeah. know, Wes and Milt Wagner were like literally childhood friends. Wes is was was Wani's uh, like I don't want to put a but like his guy like uncle like really like he called him Uncle Wes uh, before I knew Wani World Wags. before I knew uh, before I before Worldwide West was Worldwide West. I knew him as Uncle Wes. He was just Wani Wag's Uncle Wes. That's all. That's that's all anybody knew way back then. And of course, the legend of Wes uh, grew after that. But back to Malik Monk, who's got a chance to be uh, the highest scoring player under John Calipari ever if he can get past whatever Dewan Wagner uh, uh, averaged back at, at at Memphis. Either way, right now he's leading the SEC in scoring, like I said, and he's leading the SEC in scoring with the same initial on his first name and his last name. M first name, M last name, leading the SEC in scoring. Matt Norlander, I got a trivia question for you. Okay. Do you How about a shout out to do, Devin? Do Downey. you know the last? You do you that. know the last player to lead the SEC in scoring who had the same initial for his first and last name? Shout out to Devin Downey. It's amazing. That's incorrect. Uh, That's incorrect. Oh. It's, oh man, you set me up, bait and switch. It's actually okay, John, so it's, John Jenkins. There we go. It's John Jenkins of Vanderbilt. You but, knew I was going Devin Downey though. But do you know who it was before it was John Jenkins? <laughs> Devin freaking Downey. Shout out to Devin Downey. Oh my gosh, this has become the Kevin Bacon of our podcast. <laughs> we can so many things back to that dude. Wow. Kentucky Louisville is Wednesday night. You yes. Got a, you got a winner. Um. Yeah, give me Louisville by two. Ooh, uh, winning on the road is hard. Nation, Louisville has you. the number one defense in America. Um, I think, you know, I will be so interested to see how Louisville plays up on Monk, see if Monk can keep the hot hand going. I do think Fox can absolutely thrive in a game like this. Um, very intrigued to see how much pressure Patino throws at Kentucky, and then if he's forced to bail on that, if Fox just blows it all up. But give me Louisville in a close one. It's going to obviously need to have some good interior play. Very intrigued by it. I think it'll be in the 70s, though. Kentucky's been so good at obviously getting the 80s, 90s, and 100s this year. I think it'll be fun, but uh, I'll take the Cardinals by two. What about you? I honestly don't know. Um, like, Jeff Greer works with the Louisville Courier Journal, um, you know, asked me for a prediction. 
And I've got to send that to him. So as soon as I get off this podcast, I'm going to do that. I, I sent him to – I think I said 77, 75. He sent me that too. Yeah. But I'll be interested to see because I bet you more people pick Kentucky than Louisville. I don't know what to pick. Like it's a total coin flip of a game. I mean it like really is. Like I, I haven't seen a point spread on it yet, but it will be Louisville minus one or pick or Kentucky minus one. It will be right in there. Like it will be a one-possession point spread. And by one possession, yeah. I mean like a like two-pointer as opposed to a three. There's no – like it's going to be – Within two points, either direction, and the money will just, you know, determine that, you know, wherever the, the smart money comes in. But uh, I don't know because on one hand, I just think Kentucky, like, you know, Kentucky's gonna be able to score. And I was, though, I was concerned with Kentucky after the UCLA game, after seeing UCLA up close and watching what UCLA has done since then. Like, I don't think that was a bad loss. Like, it was a loss in your home arena. You don't want to take. And you were down big a lot of that game. So I got it. Like, I, I think ultimately that's going to look like a loss to a Pac-12 champion. That's going to look like a loss to a one seed in the West. It's not going to be an embarrassing loss to a, um, a team. Like, what it is in reality is a loss in which you were favored by like 12 or 13 points. Like, you were a heavy favorite and you lost the game. I think ultimately it's going to be a loss to another great team um, who is like – historically great offensively so i'm not as concerned with kentucky as i thought i was after that like i think they're i think kentucky's really good now if you wanted to argue and i know some people have argued yeah they needed you know 47 from malik and if he doesn't hit that shot in the final like whatever it was 16 seconds like we're probably talking about is kentucky about to go on a two-game losing streak so i don't know i've 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 argued myself back and forth on this I, i i guess i'll pick kentucky by a point but if it's Louisville by five points, that won't surprise me. I have no idea how that game's going to go. This is the first time, and I don't know why it happened like this. I'd be actually interested to, to hear about why the schedule came like this. But usually Kentucky-Louisville is a Saturday game after Christmas and before New Year's. So it's right. really weird that this is a weeknight game prior to Christmas that they're playing this. I mean, I'm fine with it, but I'm so used to it. It's actually it's often on CBS. It's been on ESPN in the past as well. Uh, but weird timing. And then for Louisville GP, the next three weeks – are really interesting. It's this is a hell of a slate they got. Days wise, they're gonna have a week after the Kentucky game to prep for Virginia, but they get Kentucky at home, then they get Virginia at home. Kentucky is four in Kempom right now. Virginia is three. Then they get Indiana on a neutral. Hoosiers will be somewhat desperate to get a really good win there. Um, after that, they get Notre Dame on the road in the new year, and then Georgia Tech's not a great team, but that's another road game. So their next five games, it's enough, to, you know, obviously to give Patino ulcers because that's that's a relatively tough five-game stretch when you're transitioning out of non-league play into conference play and then you've got the indiana game on the neutral there in indianapolis so louisville will have a lot of chances to get some good wins here they're gonna get clipped without a doubt uh four and one would be great three and two is certainly acceptable for those next five for kentucky the carolina win was their first win of legitimacy and and it takes even even more weight now and the louisville win will mean even more because the michigan state win it's decreasing in value because the Spartans just took a really bad loss to Northeastern, who, by the way, also won at UConn earlier this year. So Northeastern's not an awful team by any stretch, but you're Michigan State. You should not be losing at home at Breslin to Northeastern. So that win by proxy is hurting all the teams that have defeated Michigan State because we're not really sure really how good the Spartans are. And I still think they'll make the tournament, but right now there's plenty of questions. Um I feel like we've had this conversation about Michigan State in the past, like maybe the Drew Neitzel team 
early was struggling a little bit, and, and then they, they, they settled in and they were okay. seems like there was a team within recent years that got off to a slow start, but ultimately, like we've had the premature, is Tom Izzo finally going to miss the NCAA tournament conversation before? But I do think they're at real risk this year. I mean, they're like, in fairness to Michigan State, I think four, four of their losses are completely reasonable losses. Like they might have been losses that you'd rather not had or uh, a little more lopsided than you'd prefer. But they're, I think they, four of their five losses are ranked teams. But, but they're not very good. Now, when they get healthy, they can, I guess they can be. But they really haven't been good all year. Um, and I think the Northeastern loss was sort of the one that hammered that home. Like, oh, wow, they just lost at home to Northeastern. And I know Northeastern beat UConn, but UConn stinks. Um, you know, like it's UConn in name only. So you would bet on Michigan State getting to the NCAA tournament. I'm not sure I would, what. I wouldn't. Here's why real quick. Uh, one, they don't have bridges right now. Schilling is Gavin Schilling is eventually going to get into the lineup, I've got to believe. Carter, I'm told, is done. Ben Carter's not going to play this year. He's he's going to have to take a return and return next season. But Gavin Schilling, the plan is very much for him to return to the lineup. Michigan State will need him. So what will happen, in my opinion, is that both those guys will be back. Michigan State will look better. It will get wins in the Big Ten that it needs to get. And the committee will rightfully, or at least it should rightfully, uh, punish Michigan State for its losses in the non-conference when it wasn't at full strength, but put enough of perspective on that that if and when Michigan State gets right enough to the point where it's a top five Big Ten team, which I think if Bridges and Schilling are fully healthy in the lineup, Michigan State can be a top five Big Ten team this season. If that happens, it'll be enough to get them into the tournament. Obviously, that all goes out the window if you know Schilling doesn't come back or if he does and has more injury hiccups or whatever. They are very young. We need to keep that in mind. But I do think that they'll rally and get there. But the Northeastern loss, that's you know that drops you two seed lines. That's just that's a really really tough, rough loss to take. But yes, I do think that they will get enough to rally, recoup, and uh, and get into the tournament. Kim Palm's got them going eight and ten in the Big Ten right now. They won't get in at eight and ten in the Big Ten. No, and I but I I would say that they'll be above five hundred in the Big Ten if they're healthy. Again, that's the thing. If they're healthy, yes, I think they will be above. Give me ten and eight. 10 and 8 with the right wins, GP. Don't flame out in the Big Ten tournament. Again, you know, we, you got to take in so many factors. But broadly speaking, I would place them in. But this will certainly be something that we keep an eye on and will be, you know, a national topic because it's Izzo's Michigan State. They get there every year. He makes Final Fours, you know, every two, three years, every four years, whatever. So uh, certainly something to track. Before we get out of here, I want to uh, discuss Butler a little bit. They're sitting here at 10 and 1. Um, you know, coming off a win over Indiana, they've beaten Cincinnati, they've won at Utah, they've beaten Arizona on a neutral. Uh, they've got a win over Northwestern, and, you know, in most years that doesn't mean much, but looks like a quality win this year. Um, they play Vermont on Wednesday, should be at 11-1. St. John's then on uh, Thursday the 29th, should be 12-1. and one. Come back home, get Providence, all due respect to the great Ed Cooley, probably 13-1. and one which means that they could have number one Villanova, reigning national champs, coming into Hinkle uh, on January 4th. They'd be 13-1 and one and on a five-game winning streak. And uh, like I said in a video I recorded earlier, I'm not a Butler historian, but that's got to be on the short list of uh, would-be most anticipated regular season games in Butler history. I mean, if you're 13-1, and one, uh, probably ranked in the top 10, and you've got the reigning national champs coming in. And and Villanova does figure to be ranked 
Uh, well, it depends. They'd have to win at yeah, they Creighton. Got a tricky, yeah, they, they, got, they got a tricky. They, they got Creighton on New Year's Eve. But they'll still be GP with how that falls. No, it's New Year's yeah, Eve. Yeah, right. So yeah, the poll, it wouldn't be. The new polls would come out on yeah, on okay. the polls would come out on January second. So the the polls will update on January second. So unless Villanova wins at Creighton, Villanova will not be number one when they come in. But if Villanova wins at Creighton, Villanova will be number one on this ridiculous winning streak, reigning national champs, and headed to Hinkle. I do think Villanova's going to lose one of those. Creighton or Butler, they'll lose at one of those. I I think that they will as well. And if they don't, the Big East is theirs again for the fourth year in a row. And they might go 16-2 and two for the fourth year in a row in league play, which uh, would be ridiculous. Because the Big East, at the top of it's pretty damn good this year. And Butler speaks to a lot of that. Only losses by one at Indiana State. Yeah. Not a great loss, but to me, a reasonable loss. And let's realize that a lot of coaches wouldn't play that kind of game. Right. Credit to Chris Holtman. For doing it, and if Butler goes on to have a pretty successful year within the Big East, that loss will hurt their resume. But I don't think it would hurt it as much as people might think. Listen, Butler is—they right now, in my opinion, I tweeted it out after they got the win over Indiana, and by the way, it was an impressive win. Um, they have the resume of a two seed if you started the tournament tomorrow, because they have a road win against Utah. Win against Arizona that looks really good. Win against Northwestern that is aging well at this moment. The win against Cincinnati is really good. That's a top 20 Ken Palm team. And the win against Indiana, that's another top 20 Ken Palm team. Few teams in America have as much quality at the top and have as many top 50 wins like Butler. Uh, The bad loss does hurt them to a certain degree. But, yeah. And, by the way, no one really saw this coming. I mean, Butler obviously has been on the map nationally, has been relevant in all but really one season over the past seven seasons in college basketball. Stevens establishes the program. They make back-to-back national title games. It's unbelievable. I still think that's ridiculous when they were on the horizon that they did that. And this year they were predicted, GP, I don't have it in front of me, but I think they were picked sixth or seventh I in the I think that's East, right. Yeah. I, which I, isn't un- – that's not unreasonable, by the way, considering, you know, no one – no one knew that um, Kamar Baldwin was going to be this good as a freshman. Um, Tyler Weidman's been pretty good. Keelan Martin I was on from the get-go, but I thought he would actually have to carry the team more than, than he has. So props to Holtman, who is a damn good coach, and I think this team has even surprised him a little bit. I think if you got him to really tell you what he thought, no, I don't trust know if me, expect No, trust that. me. He did not expect this. Like, I talked to him about his team in the preseason. He was uh, optimistic, as all coaches are. But I I hope he doesn't get mad that I say this. Um, But, like, early on in the top 25 and 1, I had them ranked, like, in the 20s somewhere. And he wasn't sure that I should have them ranked. He, He wondered if I should have them ranked. And then the Big East coaches sort of backed up what he said more than what I said because... They picked them sixth. I just looked at it. it they, they, the coaches in the Big East picked Butler sixth in uh, in the Big East, and right now they're ranked 13th in the country. And that loss at Indiana State, it is a bad loss, to put it into perspective. They're the only top 15 team with, like, like that. I think Indiana State's 165, Ken Palm. They're the only top 15 with a sub-90 loss. And it's a it, and it's a one sixty five loss. But it is on the see. Here's the thing. But, though, but so, here, yeah, this, no, no, here's it, the, a one sixty five loss on the road is like losing. No, you're to right. Seventy at home. No, you I know? got you. And that's that's the way I would counter argue. And I actually referenced this in the, uh, perhaps in the video I did. I can't. I, I talk so much and type so much. I don't even know where I say things anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but like somewhere I said this. It's documented somewhere. 
the truth is most top 15 teams, so no top 15 lo- team has a loss like that loss. Um, but um, no other top, I don't want to say no, most top 15 teams wouldn't even schedule that game. And, and some top 15 teams at this moment still haven't played a true road game. Yes. You know, so like, like I'm not, if I were Butler, I, if I were a Butler fan, I'd be thrilled with how this is going because, uh, it, it, you know, it, because it's going better than anybody could reasonably have anticipated. And to your larger point about the program, you know, you never know when you lose a guy like Brad Stevens, if you're ever going to like get back to being nationally relevant, like it, it could come and go so quickly. The most obvious example being UMass losing John Calipari. You know, like it just – it has never been anything close to the same. And I'm not predicting Butler's going to go to a championship game, but uh, Chris has done a phenomenal job of, of of returning it to respectability in the middle of a upgrade to conference, which is not easy. Like going from the horizon to um, – they, they had the stopover in the right, A-10. They right. paid rent one year and then transitioned right to the Big East. That's, but that's go, a serious, serious dude. jump. It's a serious jump. I, I talked to Greg McDermott about it. Like you recruit, you the way you recruit in college basketball is typically at the level of your league. There are some programs that that you know are outliers to this. Wichita State at this point, Gonzaga obviously, but for the most part, and then there's like what Kentucky does and what Duke does. But for the most part, you know if you look at the Horizon League, most those programs get all about the same level guy. And then, and then one guy ends up being better than everybody thought, and and like an all America, like a, like becomes Alec Peters and whatever. The, and then the team with got juniors and seniors, they win. But most, in in most situations, you you recruit sort of at the level of your league. Well, that's what Butler was doing. They were recruiting high, Horizon League guys, and they end up having to play in the Big East against. Say what you want about any of these coaches, but like, you know, St. John's got real dudes, and and. You know, Villanova's Villanova, Georgetown's Georgetown. Like, they got top 100 guys, like five-star guys. And you're in there with a Horizon League roster that doesn't include Gordon Hayward or, or Shelvin Mack? Like, good luck. So it was hard. It's a, that would have been a hard transition for anybody. Um, but they've elevated recruiting thanks to the Big East Association. And, and however he's done it, you know, and it's obvious with, with on the court, like, he's just doing it. He's coaching. Um, it's been remarkable to watch because he's got that thing stabilized now. And honestly, if there was going to be a drop-down year, this was like supposed to be it. Uh, but instead, yeah. it looks like uh, it looks like they're going to be thirteen and one with an opportunity to knock off the reigning champs in a few weeks. Like it's, um, if you were looking for early coach of the year favorites, like Chris Chris Holman would be on that list. That's accurate, and uh, yeah, it speaks to the the strength of the Big East this year. I'm waiting kind of week or two more just to see how early league play works out. But I definitely want to kind of address the league in general because it, it it just continues to have legitimacy at the top and, beca- and there's issues at the bottom don't get me wrong like st john's is bad depaul just can't get any momentum whatsoever but like providence was supposed to be down this year gp providence has been at same thing as holtman is with cooley you ask cooley in the preseason yep. are you going to be nine and two going into your game against maine he would have said no probably eight and three at best just because he knew what they lost dude they lost two first round picks he lost a top three pick top five pick and chris dunn like, they lose at Ohio State by five. No shame in that. Lose by 11 to Virginia. No shame in that. Beating everyone else. Hasn't been a tremendous schedule. But still, like, you'll take it. He scheduled easier because he knew he was losing a lot. So even Providence, supposed to be a down year. Nine and two. 
setting itself up well. Should be pretty interesting. No, it's been a good league. Uh, it's been a really good league. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes, and you really should. Like, you just should have already done that by now because uh, you will get the episodes as quickly as possible while all these other dummies are waiting around for somebody to tweet a link to it. You've already got it in your phone. So if you haven't subscribed already, uh, go subscribe. Uh, we appreciate you listening. Uh, sincerely, thank you. Uh, apologize again uh, for the late Monday night recording as opposed to the uh, late Sunday night recording, but we will get back on a normal schedule uh, soon. And I believe after Christmas, should we announce this? We're going to be doing three pods a week, right? We're going to do three pods a week, and um, let's wait for the, the details on that third pod for next week to kind of give – we'll tease it here. But, yeah, I, you're on board with the, what I suggested, right? I don't know. I don't even remember what you suggested. Okay. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> did, he's riveted by did He's you? riveted by the idea. Shout out it to – It will not be – my plan is to have that third episode not be a typical podcast episode, one with a nice little twist, but – We'll we'll talk about that. Are later. you talking about dedicating an entire podcast once a week to the greatest moments in Devin Downey's career? Devin Downey and Wani Wags podcast. You know it, dude. If you want me to just have a podcast every week where I just tell Wani Wags stories, not a problem. Or really, just stories from my four years covering the University of Memphis basketball program under John Calipari. Like I have so many like ridiculous stories from that time. I know, man. I've heard them all like fifty times. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you about the time OG showed up on stage with Jay-Z. I think I heard that one, yeah. All right. All right, I got to go, man. I'm tired. I got three kids for crying out loud. I hear you, man. We'll talk Thursday. <laughs> I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Yeah.